Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, I'm here with just dear sweet friend, our, our, our number one boy, Matthew Penny. Penny and I are going to dive in. We're going to talk a little bit about Celtics and the Nets series, and we're going to talk a bit about Celtics draft history, particularly, uh, and how narratives form so quickly regarding just draft and success drafting, when in reality, they probably shouldn't. Uh, Then we're going to move. We're going to talk a little bit about Jay Wright's retirement. We're going to talk about how NIL seems to be kind of changing the uh, entire entirety i guess of college basketball in regard to players who are able to stay and go we're going to talk about shaden sharp and his declaration for the draft and of course we're going to answer some questions at the end matthew penny how's it going man it feels like i have not talked to you uh for too long 20 minutes (laughs) it's good (laughs) We're, we're always in different locales so for people that that watch on youtube uh i'm now in a hotel and sam is home and I feel like mm-hmm. we we kind of switch back and forth. Same well, time. Well, last time hotel. it was the opposite. Yeah, uh, exactly. You're in a random hotel. I'm in a random hotel. Uh, I'm in lovely Kansas City. We have an event under our event this weekend. Uh, so it's it's lovely here. I was admiring your home decor in the background. Looks like you've made some arrangements and movements there since getting back to land down under. So you look like you're more kind of in stride of where your life needs to be. As I'm transient and just all over the place here well hot take i don't have covid anymore (laughs) so it's nice like i'm functioning as an adult now uh whereas before i was like super messy and all over the place for people who watch on youtube by the way everyone go subscribe to the youtube page that is the best way you can support the podcast (laughs) is by subscribing to the youtube page and watching us there uh People who've watched in the past have noted that I just have like photos sitting on stools previously. I've actually hung photos. It's going to be hilarious at some point when these photos are like hung very poorly and they fall in the background in the middle of the (laughs) podcast. It might not happen today. It might not happen for two weeks, but it's going to happen. We know that. Uh, So I'm excited. You know, the, the, the things are coming together over here in Australia, Penny. The video quality, it, it does make me long for the days where we recorded with just audio. And I think it was like the first year of us doing this and my chair exploded on the air. I, I wish we did have a visual of that. That would be a, that'd be part of my greatest hits package for sure. I fucking forgot that. <laughs> I kept going too. I forgot I, I, that you did that. Like, You're, are you okay? Was there an explosion? <laughs> like kind of, I had a lawn chair, uh, just gave out. I don't, I don't need more. And my wife ran upstairs. Like, are you okay? I'm, like, I'm, I'm, I'm podcasting. Leave me alone. Close the door. Yeah. Oh my God. I forgot about the lawn chair part of it. I, and I, like, have, real, I have real headphones. I'm in, I'm, in a, I'm in a hotel wheelie chair. We, we've made upgrades here too. Oh my God. Okay. Um, let's start with your dear, sweet hometown team, the Boston Celtics. You may not be in Boston right now, but you're always there in spirit. Yes. Uh, the Celtics are up 2-0 against the Brooklyn Nets. They are the better team. 
in this series. I feel very confident saying that. And in large part, it has to do with the fact that Brooklyn can't generate mismatches in the way that Boston can. Uh, simply put, Brooklyn has too many players like Andre Drummond, Patty Mills, frankly, Kyrie Irving, uh, Goran Dragic, um, you know, Seth Curry, guys that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and even to another extent, like Marcus Smart's just way bigger than a lot of those guys or way faster than Andre Drummond. Uh, they're just such substantial mismatch problems for the Brooklyn Nets. They don't really have anyone outside of Kevin Durant who fits that traditional wing sized mold. Boston has a million of those guys and they're never really at a significant marginal disadvantage in terms of the way that they match up from a schematic perspective in the playoffs. And if there's one thing we know about the NBA playoffs, it's that at the end of the day, matchups, 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 you're only as good as your weakest link is on the court, especially whenever we get to uh, the later rounds of the playoffs. With Brooklyn, like, you know, it's just that Boston has so many guys that can switch. Like, if it's not Jason Tatum guarding Kevin Durant, it's Jalen Brown. If it's not Jalen Brown, it's Marcus Smart. If it's not Marcus Smart, it's Grant Williams, who's, like, tough and physical and, like, you know, can at least match up somewhat defensively. If it's not Grant Williams, it's Al Horford out on Kevin Durant. Like, there just is nowhere near the significant marginal advantage that Boston gives up every time they're on the court. And this transitions into what I wanted to talk about. This is the way that Boston has built their team. This has been their drafting philosophy for years, and it's finally paying off. I I think that Boston, you know, look, I've been pretty high on this Boston team, uh, you know, basically since January, right when this run started. I said that I thought they were going to win two playoff series uh, at the uh, all-star break. Like I was in on this Boston team from then, but I was worried about them early in the year. And I thought like, maybe you make a move with Marcus smart and try to build around Jalen and Jason in a different way. Uh, They were smart. They held the course. They went out and actually made an addition in Derek white, another really tough defender who's six foot six and can really move. Um, The way that they've built this roster is the idealized version of what teams should do in the modern NBA. And I think, think it's very very impressive that it's built almost entirely through the draft yeah that's our other than Derek guys. white right and al horford penny i know that you wanted to kind of dive deep into this but like you look into all of the guys that were draft picks on this roster jason tatum and jalen brown were top five picks yep. uh you know marcus smart is a former i think number six overall six, pick yeah. uh you know, who Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard played critical roles in game two, uh, kind of, you know, spearheading that comeback almost with their energy. Those guys were first round picks later, later half of the first round. Robert Williams, Robert who Williams, hasn't even played Lord, in the series yeah. yet, mm-hmm. who 22nd. frankly, like, yeah, like 27th, I think. Yeah. Like, I know Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year. 
I don't love the fact that he won it. Like, I love the idea of the fact that he won it. Like, he wouldn't have been my vote necessarily. I think Robert Williams was probably their best defender this year, and they have the guy that won Defensive Player of the you know Year. You know what's funny, too? Like, you, te- you texted me because you hate awards. Uh, you hate fun. But when Marcus Smart won Defensive Player of the Year, you texted me and said, I don't even think he's the best defender on his team. I thought you were talking about Al Horford. I, I didn't even think you were talking about Robert <laughs> Williams. So that kind of shows, like, schematically what they do, and the clips are yeah. all making their rounds to the internet today on – how they actually rotate away from the ball and how they scramble and how Grant Williams can show and recover. Yeah. And, and that's like the, the lifeblood of they've done it. And for Boston, it has been very draft heavy and draft oriented, which is great because that, that's how Boston has to do it. And, and you've alluded to the Boston front office kind of getting a, a bad rap and a bad name for the draft history. So I looked and since the Marcus Smart pick in 2014, when six overall, here's their actual first round picks. James Young, Terry Rozier, these are guys that kept too. RJ Hunter, Ante Zizek, Jalen Brown, Gershon Diabaselli, Jason Tatum, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, Romeo Langford, Aaron Naismith, Peyton Pritchard. Two that, that hurt that they did draft and trade. Thibault, they drafted and traded. And Desmond Bain, they drafted and traded, right? But when you think about it, for, for Danny Ainge, who did the majority of, of that in their front office at the time, it's a pretty good track record for the crap they get. They get it right more than they get it wrong. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are two amazing hits. They weren't like singles and doubles. Like these are home runs that you build around this guy that we've talked about. Even if the the rest are misses, it's worth it for those two guys. But that's what you need in Boston from a roster makeup. I mean, we tried sending Tom Brady and Kelly Olynyk for who knows what reason to the Hamptons to recruit Kevin Durant. He's like, yeah, I'm I'm good. I, I don't know why you guys are are here doing that. Boston is not the premier free agent destination. It uh, doesn't have the weather. It doesn't have the Hollywood allure. There's a lot of history. I can tell you a few good places in Southie you can hang out at. But beyond that, it's like you're, you're going you're, go, you're going to have to build to the draft. The free agency thing, yes. Uh, the reality is that Kevin Durant came here via trade because he saw it as like a piece away. Uh, they got Gordon Hayward to sign because, hey, his college coach was now your current NBA head coach. And now that it's like cleared out more, and it took time. Like Ime Odoka gets the job. People are calling for his head saying – it's it's too much. It's too soon. Despite like weirdly, the analytics said this was going to happen. Like the defensive analytics were there, but they weren't winning games. Yeah. Uh, but it, it just took more time to to turn the corner. It took some patience. People wanted to trade Marcus Smart. People didn't know the Peyton Pritchard thing made sense, and he had some big minutes last night. So uh, all this with, with Al Horford too. It, it's been fun to watch, and also I'm just a little more hesitant too because as you talked about narratives. If Jason Tatum misses that kind of circus spin shot on Easter, we're, we're talking about Emei Doka should have called timeout. Or it's a 1-1 series and now going back to Brooklyn. And I don't know, Ben Simmons might come back. So a, a lot changes with like a player, a basket. But I, I'm very satisfied with where the Celtics currently are right now. You know what, though? Even if that's true, it's felt like Boston has played better than Brooklyn in this series. What they're doing is much more sustainable, it feels like to me. Look, sustainability goes out the fucking window when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving oh, start go going. Yeah. 20 for 35 <laughs> and drop 40 points apiece, yeah. right? Like, sustainability only takes you so far. But I feel like what Boston is doing is entirely sustainable in the series. I think they've played better than Brooklyn. I think they've deserved to win both games so far uh, just on the basis of I think that what they do makes more sense. And I think that their matchup, you know, ability to generate more positive matchups, both offensively and defensively than Brooklyn is a substantial advantage. 
Um, yeah, like we bring up the idea of this Celtics front office not being very well regarded in regard to the draft. Like it's a thing. This front office gets a lot of shit publicly. And just on the Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown picks alone, those weren't like super obvious picks. No. Like we we can go back and like we can, you know, play Monday morning quarterback or whatever, but it was not the obvious move for the Celtics to trade down from number one to number three and take Jason Tatum like and pick up an extra draft pick. The obvious move was to take Markel Fultz at number one. And there's literally like outside of the Celtics, I don't think there's another organization in the NBA that would have done that. Oh, I, the Jalen. I, I, I criticized both, just to be very, very clear. Like I was like, ah, Jalen Brown. That's him and Marcus Smart are like kind of similar defensive, like wings. And Jalen Brown's like college stuff didn't line up with high school. And and Jason Tatum, like it was, yeah, it wasn't Markel Fultz. You need a big guard, and they're again. That's <laughs> that's why we're here. And I'm, they I'm just in nailed both those Kansas picks, City and, and they're making the picks as that was exactly what they needed. And we're talking now, years later, eight years later, since the Marcus Smart pick, and they're rolling. Yeah, like Robert Williams, like didn't he like miss his like call the next morning because he was partying at a <laughs> Buffalo Wild Wings? Allegedly, like, I mean, I mean that's why he was the Time Lord because he was like late to that. Then he gets to town, he's late yeah. to his press conference, and and that was like some of the reason he slid in the draft. It was yeah, it's maturity issues, it's timing, it's getting to practice, it's doing this and that. So he gets a, a place like literally next to the practice facility. So <laughs> he's late. Right. He's have to like roll out of bed like a like the first even Tommy boy when he's like running to class, just like putting his shirt on and run through a fence and like you're there in two minutes. But those are the the risks that you're able to take with the franchise infrastructure where they value winning and they value like the guys that they already have in there. When you have younger guys that are leaders and then older vets, when you bring in the, the horse, the world and, and players like that, it, that's when hopefully that it all clicks. And I, I'm glad it has. I'm glad it's turned the corner uh, after I, I never said like publicly, like let's trade Jalen Brown, but you think about it when, they, when they got off to such a slow start and, you have the two days. Oh, and I, I was I was never there. I, I'm just never. I wasn't quite there, but I, I like I, like at least in my own brain played it out. Like, what can you get for him to change this, or what can you get if you trade Marcus Smart? They didn't. Brad Stevens came out and said, "We will make trades if they make sense, and if they make sense for us." And moving Marcus Smart didn't. He's defensive player of the year and has been an enormous piece of this thing. Like. I- the, the move that I thought they should have done, you know, had this continued down the road was move Marcus Smart, uh, you know, set up a situation where you can dump Al Horford and then do like a Bulls like reset like they did last offseason yeah, where you make right. some sign and trade moves. You know, you completely reshape the core around Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Now, I was completely wrong to have even suggested that because they have completely figured this thing out and turned it around. And by the way, like the Derek white acquisition, which came through like their accrued draft capital and, you know, in part through Romeo Langford as a, you know, reasonable asset plus two first round picks that they were able to move. uh, It is, it's such a smart addition because they just needed a guy who could make everyone kind of fit a little bit better. Uh, they absolutely did that. Yeah, no, the Celtics are one of the more fun developmental and draft-focused success stories. Like, you look around the league, you know, number one team in the East, the Miami Heat. That's a team, other than Bam Adebayo, really, that is built uh, more around free agency with Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry. 
Uh, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks. Certainly, Giannis is yeah. you know the centerpiece. <laughs> that, hel- in yeah, the, that helps the appeal of free agency. Yeah, the draft pick of all draft picks, right? But you know they traded for Chris Middleton. They traded for Drew Holiday. They signed Pat Connaughton. Like signed, you know, most of their other guys, right? Um, you know the, the Philadelphia 76ers, Joel Embiid certainly was drafted, but you know there were and Tyrese Maxey as well was drafted, but James Harden was traded for, Tobias Harris was traded for. Um, you just kind of go up and down the board here, and the Celtics are the like true like draft centric uh, success story of the season, I think, and uh, they deserve some credit. And I think that the number one thing that really needs to be said is. If you're building through the draft, like you have to be patient, just point blank period. Like these guys take time, you know, guys get drafted when they're 20 years old, you know, 19 years old, 21 years old. They're not going to hit their ceiling until they're 26 years old. Probably you really need to be patient with a lot of these guys, which is why I like what Oklahoma city did over the past week where like Sam Presti sat down with the media for two and a half hours Yes, and just preached, guys, we got to be patient here. Like we're going to make moves if they make sense for us. <laughs> like I, right. I think that they're, I think they're like an interesting, fascinating, you know, potential move for like a Rudy Gobert. If Utah decides to blow this thing up, like I would be really, really intrigued by them going out and like making a big swing of a move if they finally get that last centerpiece like through the draft because they have the number 12 pick they have all those future picks from the paul george deal like you you could do a number of different things um but you got to be patient like these guys these core pieces like josh giddy like shay gilgis alexander uh you know the guy that they drafted number two or number four or number six whatever they end up with these guys they're going to take time. You got to be patient. And I think that Boston is a uh, is a success story built around patience on some level. And patience also has a time, though, and it has a price because you, you had the process. And in Philly, then people started getting rumbly a little bit. And I admire Sam Presti for taking two hours of comments, kind of questions and comments. It's like the anti-Bill Belichick and just answered everything. But there's also going to become a point where they, they flip it and say, well, we have to yeah. win now. Maybe that's a year away. Maybe it's two years. Maybe it's three. I don't know. But eventually, you're, you're going to have to win games and get older. But they have all that assets to trade off and do it. And for the Celtics pick of Derek White, I also think that worked for both teams. Like with the Spurs, they needed their younger players to develop more. And yeah. I, as much as I like Derek White, getting him out of there, letting those guys play. And also, it's a pick swap in, in a few years, too. So Celtics saying, we're going to be good enough that it's not going to make a difference. But if they take a dip, it benefits the Spurs, too. So it, you kind of see the different angles and ways that, that teams may approach it. And I don't think that the Celtics really emptied out everything and said, hey, we have to win now. But it's these little like micro moves that can make like a bigger thing probably this season and hopefully two, three years down the line, too. Okay, let's take a quick commercial break and then we're going to get into some uh, college basketball NBA draft centric discussions. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. 
some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, for instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot-blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory g-a-m-e-t-h-e-o-r-y to claim your account plus with nord's 30-day money-back guarantee you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account nordvpn.com slash game theory guys i can't emphasize enough uh, how much i use nord every day of my life uh Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, we're back. Let's uh let's dive deep. So Jay Wright retired yesterday. He did. That was uh Did you hear that? that? A, yeah, did did you hear? Have, have you heard? Jay Wright follow, retired? Do you follow any college basketball analysts on social media? I'm sure they have an opinion or two to, to share with us. Uh, but yeah, Jay Wright did retire. He did. Yeah. So like I had not heard anything about Jay Wright potentially retiring up until, I don't know, two hours before like it, before he announced it. You know what I mean? Like I hadn't even really heard rumblings that this was a consideration. Ooh. Had you even heard anything like that? There were rumblings. There were about a week or two ago. There started to be rumblings, but I didn't even let it register because yeah. it. Not that it seems absurd, but normally, like you get it from one or two places. Like okay, but it wasn't like overwhelmingly loud. There were kind of some breadcrumbs. He left that the final four and some meetings, and like he, he. I think Adam Finkelstein said it. Like we we had an event last weekend. He was on the road. It was like another assistant. But yeah. I, I still didn't like take that part of it and put that together and say, oh man, maybe this is like actually a thing there's a lot of coaches that didn't go out and recruit last weekend and then the timing of it i mean the banquet i think is tonight which is unreal like that should be a, a documentary in and of itself uh but then when you actually see it go across the ticker i was at a bar sorry uh eating dinner but watching the celtics game last night and my phone started buzzing and said jay wright retired I'm like oh man here we go it's going to take away the whole first quarter as i just try to dive into all the uh reactions and instant reactions from everyone else were you out with our mutual friend that I, oh, we were like, group texting not. together? <laughs> I was not. No, <laughs> that'd be something like sitting across the table. No, I was not. That'd be absolutely amazing on a number of yeah. levels. We're just like sitting there, like you're across the table from our friend. And like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's happening. Just like text. No. Not not like, last. What's time, happening? No. 
Um, so yeah, I was surprised by this and I think the more you look at it, the more it is unsurprising on some level, kind of like you said, where it felt like to me that it was very quiet on the Villanova front for a team that was losing as much as it was. Villanova traditionally does not really recruit out of the portal. I think that they only have like one real like transfer portal addition over the last, you know, few years where it's really exploded. And it's Caleb Daniels from Tulane. Mm -hmm. Uh, Other than that, like this is mostly a recruited team that they develop over the course of years. I I was pretty like, the the more you think about it, the more I was like, okay, like this kind of makes sense. I mean, they need to pivot in an entirely different direction. If only because college basketball around Villanova is pivoting in an entirely different direction. And now Kyle Neptune is taking over Kyle, you know, certainly coached under Jay Wright, I believe for a decade, I would imagine that much of that staff is probably going to stay pretty status quo uh, with, you know, Neptune just taking over. And then, you know, the guys like Nardi and Halkovich and everyone there, like probably you would think stay if only because like the continuity is such an intrinsic part of the Villanova program. I'm not reporting that. I'm just kind of assuming that based off of that's also uh, my assumption. Yeah, sure. everything. That, but but Jay, yeah. Jay Wright also said, like, in, in, I don't know, it was the graphic or an interview, whatever, said Kyle knows the, the Villanova culture and will keep the continuity, mm-hmm. something along those lines. I'm paraphrasing. Mm-hmm. But I think that on some level, like, the culture is going to have to change with the rest of college basketball. And this is where, uh, where the takes started flying because uh, over the last week, there has been this desire to uh, give these great sweeping generalizations based off of singular moments with like singular individuals making decisions like Tyrese Hunter deciding to transfer from Iowa state turned into, Oh my God, these kids, they just, they enter the portal so quick. It's all about me, 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 like this generation. And, you know, how, how are coaches ever supposed to build a program in today's era? And then the Jay Wright thing happens and it's like, oh, my God, the NIL uh, has changed college basketball forever. And the portal has just completely changed things. Guys, like Jay Wright's fucking 60 years old. Yeah. He's accomplished everything that he can do in college basketball. He's made probably 50 million plus dollars. If I made that much money and I'd accomplished everything and won two national titles and been to four Final Fours, you motherfuckers would never see me again. <laughs> like Take the I'd phone, be gone. Throw the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> like I would be living by the beach. I like I'm sure he's gonna go live at the Jersey Shore. I'd be so far fucking off the grid. Like you yeah. would never find me again. I can guarantee it. What like why do we need to make these sweeping generalizations about people making individual decisions that are best for them. Good for Jay Wright, man. Like go enjoy your life. Yes, I, I get it too. And, and what I admire first, and and I want to back, I, I also want to praise Jay Wright though, right? 520 yeah. is going over head coach, six Big East championships, 16 NCAA tournaments, two national championships. The coolest walk off of all time when Chris Jenkins oh, hit that pitch God. back three from Arch and he showed no reaction. He just mouthed bang. That was it. It was like watching a world-class poker player hit four of a kind of like the turn and just nothing, yeah. no emotion. Players dream of making that shot. Coaches, I'm sure, the the less 
crazy ones, dream of being that cool when something of that magnitude happens. But what I admire most about Jay Wright is how he righted the Villanova ship and adapted. He bought more into taking his type of players after 2003-2004. As much as he's seen now as this like beloved figure, and absolutely justifiably so, a lot of Villanova fans were calling for his job after three straight NIT appearances, which people forget about. But he changed. He regrouped. He changed what he did. He shifted. And from there, all he did was win and establish himself as one of the better coaches in college basketball. So it, it may seem a little early to call it and retire, but I like you, I understand. He probably wants a new challenge. He wants to be removed from the rat race of college basketball. There's nothing else to prove there as a head coach. He said no to NBA stuff or allegedly said no to NBA stuff in the past. I I just I anticipate this pattern repeating over the years. I don't think we're going to see the 70-year-old Mount Rushmore icons of college basketball coaching that late into their careers anymore, as much anymore as we did in like the 80s and 90s. I, I see straight up, like you said, that the game's changed. Roy Williams retires. Coach K retires. Jay Wright retires. And all the negative headlines somehow point to the transfer portal and the NIL. And this is where I get mad. Because here's the deal. We can't have it both ways. We're trying to. We can't have both ways. And I, I know we're going to do a deep dive into Oscar Sheway, but I, I need to make this point. Oscar Sheway is a transfer from West Virginia via the transfer portal. He's now a megastar at Kentucky and one of the feel-good stories of college basketball. The NIL, which stands for Name, Image, or Likeness, provides endorsement money opportunities. That will be coming his way and is one of the main reasons he's going back to school. He's going to be on the cover of every college basketball magazine, the lead story between every Kentucky game. So we aren't allowed to yell about how bad the transfer portal is, yell about how bad the NIL is, ruining college basketball, then celebrate a player like Oscar, who should be celebrated, who has both of those on his resume, but then the 1,300 other kids do it. It's like, ah, no, it's it, it's ruining the game. That's what kind of makes me crazy. The NIL works. I know the transfer portal's nuts. It works. Oscar Shebe would not be back in school if that wasn't there. He'd be a pick in the 40s and hoping he sticks. Uh, I congratulations to Jay Wright to stepping back. I, I know there's been a lot of articles now that college coaches don't know what to do. It's completely different, but you have to adapt to it. You have to change. I, I know it's so much more than what it used to be, but we're like we're stomping our feet at like a, a player empowerment process that like has been long, long overdue. Well, and there's that part of it. I think as much as anything, it's that these coaches that were in their you know 70s now they didn't make $4 million a year when they were 40 years old. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, good point. Like, these coaches are so much wealthier from younger ages. Todd Golden is 35 years old. He's making $3 million a year at Florida this year, right? Mm. Like, you know, Nate Oates is 40, what, 45, 46, something like that. Like, he's been making $4 million for a couple of years now. Like, you know, Mike Krzyzewski – he was probably making that much. And I think that coach K is probably like a different deal. But like, I don't think Roy Williams was ever making like crazy money up until those last few years. Um, you know what I mean? Like it was, it's, it's, it's complicated. I think by the fact that the money throughout collegiate athletics has grown so yeah. substantially over the course of the last few years that, Coaches aren't going to have to fucking coach into their 70s if they don't want to. Which is good, right? Isn't this like a good yes. thing? Like you've made your money, do stuff. Go to the beach. Go hang with the grandkids. Go like 
to Key West for like a, a few weekends. It, it's hard, man. Like I know how tough it is because yes, yeah, a certain number of and coaches love coaching. Year, like this, this I, I, I got to go right. I, I got to run events. Coaches yeah. got to go recruit at, at set events. You miss stuff. You miss birthdays. You miss life events. Like I, I went to one of my best friend's weddings on a Friday and took a five a.m. flight the next day to be here. But that's it's the Godfather, man. It's the business we've chosen. Like there's there's hangups and stuff that come with it. But I, I'm lucky enough to work in basketball talk to you here on a draft podcast those guys are recruiting and if it's too much and it's changed like it's all right if you you step away from it i mean i sent you the clip this morning when i was like full full on rage of just like the the billy bean in moneyball when he's talking to like the the older uh coach or scout say i'm doing this for 29 years you guys and your little analytics and your computers don't know what you're talking about and billy bean just right there just shrugs says adapt or die like that's what you got to do. So the transfer portal is not going away. NIL is not going away. I, I know you have to re-recruit your players and even the guys on your roster every single year, which is crazy. I think that's I, I talked to yeah. a grassroots person today. It said I think that's why a lot of staffs are getting younger because a lot of those assistants just like stay on half the roster and like make sure they're happy because they don't want to re-recruit twelve guys a year. I, I wouldn't want it thirteen guys a year. I wouldn't want to do it either. But like we're not mad when. Shaheen Holloway goes from St. Peter's to Seton Hall. I was happy for him. He should. But we shouldn't be mad that when Doug Eater transfers to Bryant. Like, that's okay. Both those okay. Like, it, it can it can work in, in unison together. And I, I feel like there's a lot of college basketball fans that don't see that connection. Well, and, and like, for instance, like you sent me a tweet, like the only reaction to the Jay Wright news, the NIL slash transfer portal have changed college sports forever. It's a never ending job. Good coaches will retire earlier. Some will go to the pros and let the GM deal with free agency and player payments. This is the new norm. Maybe like that. Right. That might be true. Um, possibly, but who cares? Like <laughs> It's kind of my point. Like, um, I, I don't I don't care like i know that like these older fucking college coaches like i've seen like you know fran frischilla and jimmy dykes and seth greenberg they're tweeting about like how things have changed and how things are so much different from what they were they are they are they are i agree like they're different you know why they're different because the older generation of coaches are used to being able to wield their fucking power with an iron fist and now we've finally done something for the players where, hey, maybe they can get a modicum of power back in their lives and maybe they can get a modicum of empowerment uh, within their careers and within their potential career choice. This is good. This is fucking good. Like, what are we doing here? I don't care that some fucking 60-year-old millionaire (laughs) is complaining about roster Uh, management. Like, I've seen so many columns over the last 24 hours like this since Jay Wright retired. Don't read them. I don't care that some 60-year-old fucking college coach, I respect that you have to take your time to do this, but you are millionaires. These kids are fucking 20 years old trying to figure out how to go through their lives. Please, like, give them some sort of chance to do that in the way that they want to. And and I like what Jay Wright did too. It's just like, yeah, I left. And like a day later, he has like a graphic yeah. or whatever. It wasn't a it wasn't like, hey, I'm leaving in a year. I'm gonna find a successor. It wasn't a, a three minute video announcing that he was leaving, like dribbling in the gym. He said, Yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna take the shine away. I'm, I'm gonna leave. Come up to my successor. See you guys at the banquet, which is great. Um <laughs> circling back to to what you said before then too. I, I just don't know like what what people want out of this. Like, is it is it just they want to go back to the non NIL days where all these players are, are going pro? 
because they have to like get some money. Like, or, or, but no, if you want Jaime Jaquez in college basketball going back to no, UCLA, no, there's, no, prob- no. there's probably stuff there. And the NIL is so overblown. It's crazy. Yes, there are schools and collectives that are able to pay players more stuff. I'm not going to say the school. There's an elite eight team this year that is a very good program. And the, the most benefits that their best player got was a four door sedan, like while he was on campus. It wasn't like he was making 300 grand. It wasn't like, you know, he goes home and has some luxury apartment doing commercials. He had a four door sedan that you and I would probably be like, I don't know if I'd pick that out at the rental car facility when I'm, I'm driving somewhere. I picked out a, a hybrid minivan this week. It's great. I don't need a sedan, but like we're just going so far above and beyond to think that there's this ultimate crazy treasure chest of money when. It's not like that for, for everybody. It's not like that for everyone, for sure. Like there are, you know, a lot of players that will get a substantial amount of money. Like the difference makers will get a real amount of money. Like, you know, Jeff Goodman said that he's expecting Oscar Sheboy to get $2 million next season. Look, Kentucky's a special case. Oscar is a special case because he's so charismatic. Everyone loves him. Not totally stunning to me. Right. That like he could make a real substantial amount of money like that. I would imagine that Armando, like I don't have specific numbers on Armando Baycott. Like I would imagine that Armando Baycott is probably making quite a bit of money to return to North Carolina because he's going to come back to North Carolina and try to become like one of the 10 best players in North Carolina history. And right. by the way, that sounds crazy on its face. It's not. He's going to be their all-time rebounder. Uh, if he leads them to a national title next year, he's going to be the best player on a team that went to the championship game and a team that you know won the national title. And he'll end up being like in the top ten of their all-time scoring list. And like it's going to be. You love this hill. Pretty, I love it. It's going to be hard to deny him. You're, kind you're, of you're on Laravia like. Island. You're on Baycott Island next season. I'm I'm, I'm loving uh, it. Already. Don't don't get me started on Laravia. <laughs> we'll do it later. later. I've, no, 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 no. Uh, not getting on track. We'll do it later. No, we're not doing uh, it. Um, <laughs> So it's just uh, the thing I don't want to hear and the thing that I think writers are wasting their time with are like laundering the complaints of these fucking 55 plus year old coaches that have made millions of dollars in their careers and like are complaining about the shifting paradigm in college basketball because it's different from what they came up in. No fucking adjust to the fact that players actually have power. Now don't treat your players like shit and they won't leave. And then like, you'll be in a good spot, right? Like that's how it works now. Good college basketball is, you know, the players are better for having this power now. And that's, what's important to me. I, I get it that like most college coaches might not love hearing that, but you know what? Like adjust or die, well, adapt and, or die. And, like it is what and, it is. And it's still going to be March Madness. You're still going to have 15 seeds win. You're still going to have 12 seeds make to the second or third round where they have no NIL money and nobody could even name what conference they're in or, or who they beat during the regular season. Like that's not right. going to change things either. The the magic of March is not going away because someone's making a couple hundred thousand dollars while on campus while while playing on TV on, on the major networks and, and winning their school games. It's not in. In the magic of coaching contracts and those guys making $3 million plus a year and having exorbitant buyouts, that's not going away either. Like, you're still going to make your money. Like, you just have to adapt. You have to figure out how to make it work. Uh, The other conversation with this that is driving me fucking crazy and that I think, like, nobody cares about except for college basketball writers, who is the face of college basketball now? You know, who is... Who, who is now like with Jay Wright gone and 
Coach K and Roy Williams, who who is the face of college basketball? Bill Self. No fucking fan <laughs> cares. Yeah, like, I, yeah. I don't think they 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 chalk in and time in and punch it from Mars. Say, all right, who's the face? Like, who am I looking for? I don't know, man. It changes yeah. like every year. Like, I know the the Star Wars the people there forever. Like, that is changing, and it, it is an interesting bar conversation or text conversation about like who's the next crop of guys because you've had you have had these blue blood jobs just kind of go away and, and so far they've kept it in the family right john shire gets yeah. duke hubert davis gets north carolina kyle neptune gets villanova but eventually yep. some of these places aren't going to keep the family like what's the next move for for those type of schools and and we'll just yep. have to see over time but we're not turning the tv away because some of these guys aren't coaching anymore yeah, like I don't care if Bill Self and John Calipari like are the face of college basketball. Oh no, wait, they can't be the face of college basketball because of NCAA sanctions. Oh my god, that nobody fucking cares about outside of you know college basketball writers. We like, do sanctions I, I here, baby. Care. Yeah, <laughs> we still got the banner helping. up. Banners up. Oh, I love it. There we go. There we go. Um, I just don't think people care. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, it's so silly to me. Uh, okay. Have we talked enough about like Oscar Shibway and Armando Baycott? I know that you wanted to talk about those guys too. Yeah. Kind of within this. The thing I want to add about, uh, about Oscar, just but let's, let's put that NIL stuff aside. I think it's a good basketball yeah. decision for Oscar Shibway to go back to school too. There was this late push in the year that he started popping up like the forties, low forties and, and draft boards. I couldn't quite get there. I like the production. I like the rebounding. But the defense, especially when he's pulled down to ball screens and put on an island, he struggled. Like his feet weren't as good. He's a little bit heavy there. Needs to expand his game offensively yep. some. I'm not saying, yeah, start shooting threes, but maybe more out of dribble handoff. You fake it. You, you take a 15-footer. He has to show more just as like the NBA translation. So I, I like that he's going back and developing his game. I think he probably would have stuck on an NBA roster, but it, he would have had to be like a two-way, not a two-way, but like going back and forth between some G League games, some NBA games. And then you have a guy, not quite in the, the similar situation, but Kofi Coburn's gone. He's going to explore a professional opportunity. So that would be a case study one day of Oscar's back at school. Kofi is trying to go pro. How do their past look? And, and do they align sort of like going forward down the line too? Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> I think that he made the right choice. I still have a bit of a cough from when I COVID, unfortunately. <laughs> I guess not. Um, it's always there. Yeah, COVID comes for us all. Um yeah, no, I agree. I think that the pick and roll footwork is still a mess. Uh, I think that defensively, even rotationally on the backside, I thought Oscar was not very good this year. Like he was nominated for national defensive player of the year. And that's fucking crazy. Um, I have no idea how that, that happened. I, I, I think um, going forward, we're going to have you name the defensive players of the year. In, uh, both seriously, just like fucking you're, you're never happy with them. This, this is this is another thing that you got hung up on. I like this. It drives me crazy. People just do it off of like who gets steals and blocks. And that's like 5% of all defensive possessions. And typically the guys that gamble get them. Like it drives me absolutely fucking crazy every single year. And every year there's one egregious one. And this year, like Oscar Shibway was the super egregious, like defensive player of the year candidate. Uh, I, I have no idea how that happened. Um, Regardless, he needs to go back and improve on that end. He needs to prove that he can move in space. He needs to prove that he can be solid rotationally on defense. I would like to see him more than even the shooting. I would like to see him be able to be more of like a pick and roll hub. 
offensively. Like you could maybe run some dribble handoffs with him. Uh, you could like allow him to handle the ball a little bit on the perimeter. I don't know if he can do that yet. I think that's actually the biggest problem is he might not have that in him at this point, just that dexterity with the ball. Having said that, uh, I do think that he has some very interesting tools with the seven foot five wingspan, the insatiable motor, the ability to um, just continue to go up and grab rebounds and create extra possessions. And like, I want to bet on that guy. I want to bet on a kid that is considered like a hyper elite character kid uh, to kind of make it work as a backup center, but he has some work to do. And I think that returning to Kentucky was probably the right call. And improved. He improved throughout high school. He improved from West Virginia to Kentucky. So does that improvement keep up, or is this sort of like this weird year where he just rebounded a ton and they weren't really worried about him too much offensively and was able to get away with some stuff? So we'll see. Back to Kentucky. Back to Kentucky. And do you want to move but into the shade? Yes. Yeah, I set it up for you. I was hoping that you'd yeah. slap shot into the net, but go ahead. Okay. So we asked for mailbag questions. Uh a minute or like when the podcast started and we've gotten like fucking 70 questions at this point. Um, I would say 10 of them are about Shaden Sharp. So let's just take one uh, from Chase Peterson, 23. Uh, what's more real, the moon landing or Shaden Sharp's diploma? <laughs> <laughs> it's an incredible question. Look, I'm the show. We're done. That's perfect. We're you done. Nailed We're it, dude. You nailed it. It's perfect. Oh my God. Which moon landing? The, the one on the, the studio in, in California, the actual one that happened. I haven't seen the diploma, oh, so I, I don't know. I've seen plenty of fake transcripts in my day doing my, my current job here. So I, I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. Uh, look, in terms of the Shade and Sharp situation, all of the reporting from today from The Athletics, Sean Strania, from Kyle Tucker, from John Givoni over at ESPN, from, I think Borzello you know, reported some stuff, right? Like, as far as I can tell, I talked to a couple of people yesterday when the Shade and Sharp stuff started bubbling. I talked to a couple teams at the top of the draft. Their expectation was that Shade and Sharp will be in the 2022 NBA draft, right? Like that's that's kind of been the way it's trending now for a minute here, for a while. And I kind of just go with that. My general operating procedure, I had like a relatively high profile person, you know, Asked me yesterday, hey, there are these rumors going around that Shaden Sharp is ineligible for the draft. Mm-hmm. And my response to him was, look, I've always had some questions regarding how this whole thing went down with Sharp, how the transcript situation will work itself out. I have not seen the transcripts. I don't know. But the two things that I can tell you are that the couple of teams I've talked to, they're at the top of the draft that are actually like doing a dive into Shaden Sharp. The impression that they've gotten is that he will be in this draft. And number two, generally with these kids that come through and have these weird situations like Thon Maker, like Anthony Simons, like Shaden yeah. Sharp, like Hamadou Diallo, they tend to be eligible for the draft. Like the NBA tends to figure it out, right? Yeah. So I've kind of assumed that he was going to be in this draft now since – I don't know. November? Maybe, when, when did he Wait, well, I don't get there. know if we've ever swayed, to be frank. Yeah. You know, people saying, oh, he's going back. He's testing. We, we've always kind of said he, he's there and he's going. Just depended on, yeah. like you said, the, the eligibility issues of, of being able to be yeah. in that player pool. 
Well, and look, here's the thing. So I have not put Shaden Sharp on my mock draft in large part because I want to respect his public comments and respect the public comments that his parents have given over the course of the time. Having said that, like I've started putting him on my top 100 board because you kind of have to on some level, like, uh, you know, regardless of what he said, he's eligible and like other players are eligible, but might not be in the draft. Right. Like I ranked Jaime Jaquez all year and Jaime Jaquez didn't declare for the draft. So like, uh, you know, trying to find the medium ground of like what's respectful to the kid and his family who are saying one thing versus like what is, you know, clearly a bubbling situation. Um, you know, it, it's a hard balance, but uh, you know, it seems like Shaden Sharp's going to be in the 2022 NBA draft based off of all reporting and, you know, any team that you talk to. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm intrigued at the very least. And he says he's testing to maintain his eligibility again, worth taking that statement at face value on some level, right? All of the reporting is that he's going to be in the draft. I think he's probably going to be in the draft in large part because he's going to go somewhere in the top 10. Right. Wouldn't surprise me if he ended up going as high as like three or four, if things went fucking crazy. If he goes into a workout and blows the doors off the place with that athleticism, with that shooting ability, he's a great guard. I mean, it, we're, we're he, looking at, he, he we're is. looking at this playoffs where big oh, wings who can we're doing shoot it again. We're and doing score it again. We're are as valuable it. as anything Find bam, else. Bam, bam, out of bio. Find a wing, find a, a point guard. We do this every year, but I, but but truthfully, I, I do think it's the right play for entering the NBA draft. I think so too. Because like I think he should go. Playing college basketball can really only hurt him. And <laughs> why I say that is because maybe he averages eighteen a game at Kentucky. Maybe it's eight, and we say, "Man, we jumped the gun on this. He was not quite the prospect." But if you remove that whole thing, at worst, he's a lottery pick based on the high school film, the body positional archetype. And the athletic intrigue. If you're a general manager, you don't want to miss on a guy and a, a player like that. But we're sort of in this weird James Wiseman who played two games. I don't really count those. Ennis Cantor for the real diehards, like rookie Lido zone of no college film. Like, there's no game. Lito. So you're, I, I had to. Let's go. New England. How can I not? So you're, you're taking a huge swing. It is. It's, it's like if you're going to pass on a, a more proven commodity that's done it against college players or international pro players. So just to kind of put a bow on this, how do you rank him currently just in what you've seen in terms of like the other wings out there? So maybe like AJ Griffin, you know, Ben Matherin's more two, three than three, two, but you know, Usman Jang, some people see Tari Eason as a wing sort in that like collection where is, is Shane Sharp at the top? Is he in the middle? Where does he shake for you? So, so two things. To address your first point of absolutely should do this, right? There's nothing he can yeah. do but, like, go down, right? You know why there's nothing he can do than go down? Even if he averages 20 points a game next year, is he going ahead of Victor Wembanyama? Oh, no. no. Not him. Not Scoot. Probably not yeah. Nick Smith, the Thompson Twins. There's there's a lot more depth there. Yeah, there, it's a better draft next year. Uh, I, I think he's pretty close to Nick Smith for what it's worth. Like, I, I, I think that he... You know, one or the other, like you could convince me on him versus Nick Smith. And that's the other guy that like, um, you know, is kind of the top. The Thompson twins, you know, number of wings that are like this, right? Um, in terms of what I've seen from Shaden Sharp, I think his upside is higher than any other wing in this class. Just straight up. 
assuming we're not discussing Jade Ivy in this uh, no. as well, who I think of as more of like a you know combo guard slash point guard. Um, Shaden Sharp is an awesome pull-up shooter. What he showed last year at Peach Jam in terms of his ability to get to his spots and to knock down pull-up jumpers at an exceedingly high level. He has really good footwork. He can get into his step-back series. He can go to his right. He can step back to his left. These shots are NBA level shots. On top of that, he is six foot five, six foot six mm-hmm. with a six eleven wingspan. He has a great frame. He is a terrific athlete. He plays well on the defensive end. This is the kind of guy that NBA teams are looking for. Now, he did it at Peach Jam as opposed to in college basketball. Exactly. We don't know how he would have translated to the college game. I think it probably would have gone pretty well next year, to be honest. I think he would have been really, really good. Um, I think his game probably translates a little bit better to the NBA, if we're being completely honest, in terms of playing up and down, getting out in transition where he excels. Uh, That little bit of extra space as a driver. He really needs to polish his handle. I think going toward the basket needs to be able to drive a little bit more effectively. needs to tighten up his handle to a more substantial extent, but you know, that's stuff that you can do. Uh, He has tools that I think you can't really teach. I think he's just a better kind of player than AJ Griffin at the end of the day. Uh, I think he's a better player than, or at least has more upside than Ben Matherin. Ben Matherin is probably a better player at this point. Um, I I don't know. It's interesting where you've probably even seen more of them than I have. So I, I would be interested to hear what you think. Uh, I have him kind of like split in the middle there. I have him ninth right now, just because the uncertainty you're you're playing in yeah. against high school players at high school events versus you're playing on the the biggest stage in college basketball, and that's that's what scares me. I, I did think that John Hollinger had a good tweet today about when he declared and said teams in the ten to twenty range are rejoicing. And I was like, how does he think? And then the next sentence was because it means somebody else now bumped down in that range because now Correct. he's going to be slurred there, which which is smart too. So for there are some. Uh, side effects really in, in a good way for teams that are just outside the lottery there that now maybe their guy bumped down a spot. I think that's absolutely right. I think that is like Don that look, I've talked to teams about it that are excited about the fact that, uh, you know, a guy in the late lottery might fall down to number 15, right? Or something yeah. like that. So uh, it, it's really, really valuable, I think, for him to enter the draft for those teams, just from a depth perspective, like this lottery really needed another guy and Shaden Sharp is certainly another dude. Um, where, I mean, what else do we need to say about Shaden Sharp? Like, is there, is there anything here? The whole, the whole situation was weird. I don't think it was handled well uh, by his team. I will say that. Like, it feels like Kentucky fans were kind of led on in terms of this entire thing. And that's probably unfair to Kentucky fans, the whole thing with his transcripts, like you could have kind of nipped this in the bud earlier. I feel like, uh, and made it clear, like make a statement. We think he is eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. Um, they, they just, they let the uncertainty hang in the air so much. And I think that because of that, it created this just, mess of so many differing, you know, kind of narratives and so many differing things happening that it was just not very, it was not very well handled. I I really don't think his team handled this well at all. 
in and, any and way. just it wasn't really communicated i think is the word at least to like the the general fans oh the public so, relations were horrible so horrible. if you if you were on twitter when kentucky was down in the second half and just search shade sharp all the latest tweets would be like if there's any time now for Shane Sharp to check in, it's going to happen. Like, it's got to happen the last yeah. 10 minutes. We're down six. And it's like, dude, this is not happening. Like, he's not whipping off his sweats on the road at Auburn, like, ready to play and, and swing the tide because Ty Ty Washington went down. Uh, but it still happened. It was, I think, even half the tournament, I saw a few of them. Like, is he going to come in the second half now that they're losing? No, he's, he's not. Staying right where he is. And by the way, like, I think that was the smart way to handle it on the Shade and Sharp camp's part. Like there was nothing that he could do but hurt himself in that situation, in my opinion, because he was entering a team that was really good already. And like I I guess that like if they would have beaten St. Peter's, maybe that might have helped. I don't I don't know what the case was there. But at the end of the day, don't think he could have done anything but hurt himself for the 2022 NBA draft. If he was planning on going in the 2023 draft, then okay. Like, you know, you can get that taste out of, you know, scouts mouths and you can uh, use this time to develop. But in terms of like, if he was planning on going to the 2022 draft, he should not have played. There was no, nothing he could do, but hurt himself by playing. The problem was that, they should have just said from the jump, he's not playing this year. Not playing. and made it fucking clear from the jump. There should have been no moment, no singular possible outcome where he could come in and step in and play. Like even during these injury moments, they should have just said, no, we're not getting him ready. Like we're not, we're not testing him out in practice. We are not playing him. He is here to work out. He is here to train. That is it. And I, I don't think, and I don't blame Kentucky for this. Like, I, I don't think that this has anything to do with them. I think that the sharp side should have handled this drastically better. Yes. I'll leave that one alone. Yeah. Uh, that was, uh, that was not very, uh, not very good in my opinion. Okay. Penny. Hard transition. Okay. Let's go to the mailbag. We have a lot of questions. Um, we kind of answered that question. Let's see. This is one that I thought was pretty interesting from Justin Zolas. And this is something that I was kind of thinking about in regard to Anthony Edwards and Ben Simmons. And I kind of talked about it a little bit on the last podcast with Jared Weiss, but I think it goes a little bit more philosophical when you and I can talk about it. When evaluating defense, how much is explained by raw physical talent versus effort and focus? So if essentially like how much, how do we evaluate defense for these guys that are just like super elite tools guys, right? Like Ben Simmons was a fucking disaster on defense at LSU. Ben Simmons yeah. turned into one of the best defenders in the NBA. Anthony Edwards was a disaster at Georgia defensively. Oh, and, and actually been, back it up too. Yeah. Yeah, High school totally. Records, yeah. He's actually been pretty good defensively for Minnesota, given what it was. So h- how do we evaluate physical tools versus just effort, awareness, focus, uh, and, and all of this when we're trying to figure out who's going to be a competent defender or even a plus defender in the NBA? It's difficult. With those two specific guys that you named, I just think of their offensive 
outputs and what was expected of them as college freshmen at, at LSU and Georgia, those guys had to score or had to touch the ball and facilitate somebody else or not a lot of action was happening. But you, when you see the length, you see the athleticism, you hope that some of that stuff can translate, but it's hard to, to gauge that. I mean, there are plenty of possessions watching Anthony Edwards where he was straight up standing and like not in position, yeah. not anywhere to help. He'd like get in a stance on the ball. It would kind of reverse. He'd stand up, mope around. So it's, it's, it's hard. I don't, I don't like, I don't really have an answer. And just to dive in a little bit on Anthony and you and I are texting about this the other day. This weird kind of also narrative. This is a narrative show, I guess. So it's also like weird side narrative. I talked about how, this on the last podcast too. Yeah. Damn it. But like I, you didn't keep, know. This keep going like, though. He, no, but he but he said that right. He's like, yeah, rather ball or something else. You you have to still be able to swim through that and see like what the actual like real person is, and that's what the NBA front offices are are paid to do and, and get to the bottom of the story. And maybe it was uh, just fit on their team or their coach or what grassroots team they're playing on. There's a lot of different factors. I think I've danced around without giving an answer and saying that if, if they can do it offensively, you see some of the movements and the twitch and the reactions that can also just like parallel defensively. If they buy in and they have other people like in the same kind of, I, I guess, idea situation into help and to switch and, and just teach them and, and help and hold them responsible. Like those guys were not going to come off the floor because they couldn't at their colleges. The NBA, you'll get a quick hook if you don't play defense. To the point where Anthony Edwards has now said, like, I want to be coached. Like, if I'm playing bad defensively, pull me. Like, I got to I gotta get the next stop. Yeah, I think that for these guys with elite tools, like, not just, like, good tools, but Anthony Edwards, Ben Simmons, these guys have fucking elite tools defensively. Like, they are quick. They are long. They are explosive. They are powerful. I think it's fine. Like, I think you can make that work as long as they also seem to showcase some level of positive feel Uh, feel for the game is critical on defense. Having great awareness is critical on defense. And, you know, I think that that was my more concern with Edwards with Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is just like a basketball genius. And I was a little bit less concerned there Um, with Edwards. Like you saw some feel questions and I think that was the concern, but he was also six, five with a six ten wingspan and strong as shit and powerful and tough. Like you could kind of see some real, uh, real level of potential improvement. Um, Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, it, it was just always going to be focus and effort, and that's where you need to get to know the person at the end of the day. And in Anthony Edwards' case, that was a very complicated evaluation, not because of you know the nameless, unnamed sources who say, oh, does this guy like basketball? Oh, are there epic bad people around him? Do you remember that with Nerland's Noel? Oh, I missed that one. Uh, pre-draft? Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. Um, and with Edwards, it was literally just like this dude, like literally is like saying publicly, like he, you know, doesn't like basketball. <laughs> that was the quote. Like, what That's are we talking about? Yeah. yeah. I don't like, have to read too much into it. exactly what he said. Yeah. Just look at what he's, we are using like, you know, nameless, faceless sources that say these guys don't like basketball. Come on guys. Um, okay. I will say to people, that ask these questions. I understand why they're asked and maybe at some point we'll do a mailbag specific to these kinds of questions. The ones that I'm less inclined to answer are team specific questions. Like what should Oklahoma city do if they get the number one overall pick? Uh, Chet Holmgren. You know, 
what are the Knicks <laughs> going to do if they get or if they move up? Right. Drunk. Like, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Like th- those are the ones that like, I'm just a little bit less interested in at this point of the year. Uh, w- once we have a draft order, I'm a little bit more inclined to answer those things. But um, at this point, I'm just not sure like what to do. Um, I've gotten this question though, quite a bit throughout the course of the last little while. This one comes from Philly trivia or at Philly trivia, the past, uh, who is the closest thing to a Herb Jones type, uh, in this NBA draft class? Uh, this person mentioned Tari Eason as like a potential, uh, what are the parameters for Herb Jones type? Just come sort of out of nowhere or like defends and stays on the floor or makes it, I think it's more about defense. Yeah. Like, can you make an impact defensively immediately? Uh, despite going after, let's say 22 in the draft. Oh God. That's so hard in this draft class. Like scrolling, like looking for the name as I have my big board on the side. Who was your actually name then? I, I don't really have one for what it's worth. I, I loved Herb Jones last year. Yeah, I, I don't know if there's a Herb stud. Jones here. I, I, I don't like you. I think, yeah. you had the, I think you had the tweet or somebody had a tweet about just the difference in Alabama, like defensively a, a year removed from each other and, and how much of a, right. an enormous impact that he had when he was on the floor. And now he's doing the NBA too. I don't know if there's like really that perimeter defender anyway, that they'll, they'll have that same type of thing. Like I, Interior, yeah, there's, yeah there's I like Christian no, Coloco, but that's not the same. Like, that's not what Herb Jones is doing. Yeah, like, there's no wing bender in his class that is going to go after 25, that is six foot seven with seven foot one wingspan with terrific athleticism and like basketball genius on the defensive end. Right. Like, it's just that that guy doesn't really exist in this class, I don't think. Um, like, Harrison Ingram isn't that good of an athlete no. and not as good defensively. Uh, I mean, like Jaime Jaquez would have been kind of an interesting choice, to be honest. Uh, tough, physical, great defender, like works really hard on that end. I like him to get a little healthier, a little better shape, too, than, I, than he would be in the discussion for next year. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Chris Murray is going to be in this draft. Like Chris Murray isn't that good defensively. Like, you know, 6'8", reasonable length, like he can, you know, shoot a little bit. I think he should probably go in the 2023 draft because I think he can go in the first round if he goes back next year. Yeah, um, some sleeper potential there. Yeah, I, it's hard. Like I, I have a name that I really like, but I, I don't know. It, it's not Herb Jones like. You know what? I, it's just different. Like I, I really like Jalen Williams from Santa Clara. The more that I watch him, Ooh, like I, I think that. Yeah, like I, I think that kid's probably going to be a first round pick. Um, or at least I will have him as a, yeah, I will have him as a first round grade having like really dug into the tape and like really dived in. I got asked to do so. Um, I think he's really good and I think he's probably being a little bit undervalued right now, but it's not Herb Jones. Like it's, you know, it's that he's creative with the ball and can shoot a little bit and is powerful and like has some athleticism. Like it's, it's more that all of the factors that he brings uh, confluencing together are why I really like him as a prospect and kind of like a sleeper, but it's not, it's different than Herb, I would say. Oh, very different. And the Jalen Williams ascension is kind of just strange to me because I, I know that 
they don't have always the most marquee games, but they played Gonzaga, they played St. Mary's, played San Francisco. You'd think that like this buzz would have built a little bit sooner than it did, but a lot of people going back watching the film have have said similar things. Yeah. Um, let's see here. Um, top three. Who are your top three non lotto picks who could step in and contribute right away, like Chris Duarte did last year? Jeez, man. Um, from, <laughs> Chris Duarte, what's a lottery pick? Yeah. Saying, who's who's the oldest that's, guy who can come in and play? That's, that's hard. Yeah. Well, it's also um, like uh, we, we've said, I, I don't want to say weaker because it's always guys. Outside of really 13, 14, though, like uh, my, my at least person on board is all like, investments it's all hey here's blake west i agree you're gonna contribute no i don't think so patrick baldwin jr bryce mcgowan's peyton watson josh minot maybe turquavion smith those guys are not ready they're not and then yeah like kind of kind of the middle there dyson daniels i think it's gonna take time tari eason like i actually think it's gonna take more time than people are, are saying right now marshawn yeah, maybe tari eason yeah. yeah, and I'd say maybe Marshawn, if he gets in like the right situation, he's not really asked to do anything offensively or defensively, and they can just like yeah. leave his fingerprints here and there as a three-four man. Like maybe that's the one. But I'm not saying yeah, he's gonna average twelve points per game in the first month of the season. We're gonna say we all missed. I don't, I don't see that. Yeah, I'll give you a name and someone we wanted to talk about: oh. Jake Laravia. Oh man, okay. <laughs> Could be someone that could step in early because he's really smart and can shoot, right? He has to prove that he's willing to shoot the ball as much as anything. Like this year he took, I think, three three-pointers a game and made them at a high clip, and the release is really good. It's just a little bit slow. I think there's a world where he could contribute early next year uh, if he's able to prove that he can defend and if he's able to prove that he's willing to take the shot whenever it comes to him when he's open. Um, but he has that basketball genius that, like, translates to being a role player at six foot eight, right? He just needs to get in better shape, I think, at the end of the day. Um, but I, I really like Jake Laravia and it's hilarious. Like, you know, we've gotten comments, I feel like, about being low on Jake Laravia. And I'm you like, have, yeah. what who who have you been listening to? <laughs> Well, ironically, he was your first prospect of the week before he had prospect of the week, and, and you put me on the spot and said, what do you think of Jake LaRavia? I'm like, no idea, man. I haven't watched Wake Forest. Couldn't tell you the first thing about his game. So I was like trying to pull up synergy as you like talked to me about him. I'm like, yeah, he moves pretty good. Like he can shoot, but I didn't see him. Like the, the first I had actually heard from him as being a draft guy was from you, I think in November, maybe, maybe like early December, but it was it was early. No, it, it was November 30th. I went back and checked. Uh, this is you just being spiteful. This is pulling the receipts. Oh, uh, what are we doing here? Uh, Laravia Island. Like people are like, you know, why? Why don't you like Jake Laravia? Bitch, I invented Laravia Island. Like, what are we talking about here? Come on. Oh, beautiful. Where are we at? Beautiful. Come at me. Uh, yeah, there, I, I have the receipts. I have like. 12 tweets this year talking about Jake LaRavia. I might have talked more about Jake LaRavia than any prospect in college basketball. Come at Unfortunately, me. yeah. Please. I am losing my mind. Uh, okay. That's why we record so you have said receipts. You, you'd certainly have those. Let's see here. Do we have any other um, – here, here's one from Stephen Gillespie, Stephen G. Hoop. What prospects have the greatest difference in where you projected them at the beginning of the season compared to where you have them now? Uh, biggest, I mean, it's kind of dummy because it's it's a layup, but Johnny Davis and Malachi Branham, 
I didn't even consider them as guys. I have both in the top ten. Yeah. No, I I agree with that. Uh, Jeremy Sol- Sohan quite- too. So Sohan, I, I didn't see this coming either. I'd say him. Yeah, those three. I, I thought Sohan had a chance to be a one and done. I just wasn't quite sure how um, how polished he was quite yet. And you heard a little bit in the preseason about Sohan being like potentially there. Like he yeah, he might be able right. to contribute early. Mm-hmm. Um. With Branham and with Johnny Davis, like you heard Johnny Davis is going to have a really good year. You didn't hear it'd be this with Branham. No like I always thought that the shooting was going to take more time. And then he came here and came to Ohio State and was just like, oh, no, this guy can like shoot the fucking lights out. Like, yeah, the yeah, shooting's there. Right. heard everything else. But those are the guys who so, went from like, I only keep a, a board of 60. They were not on 60 and now they're six, seven, eight, whatever. Right. Like Jaden Ivey going yeah. third. I still had him. 18th or something, 12th, something. The jump wasn't as significant. Yeah. Um, hmm. Let's see if there's anyone else here. I mean, negatively, like Jaden Hardy and Pat Baldwin moved sure. down yeah. pretty substantially. Uh, Ryan Rollins is a good name. Uh, not a guy that I really had on the radar early in the season. Uh, I think has a shot to be a late first round pick now. Probably more likely to be a second round pick if he stays in the 2022 NBA draft. Um, Blake Wesley is an interesting name too. Uh, another guy where like you'd hear some rumblings about yeah. how good he was in the preseason, but I didn't see one and done for sure. Uh, but Penny, come on, man, this was the perfect opportunity for who? Don't say mine on because I had him there in the preseason. The first mock draft we did, I took him like 29th or 30th, and you're like, what are we doing? This is what it started. Preseason. That was no, early well, in the season, though, after we'd seen No, no, no. Him. You know why, though, I did ha- I did have him here? is because of Pro Day. I didn't have it like before Pro Days and practice and stuff, but as soon as they came out of yeah. Pro Day, and I called and I said, hey, I'm, I wasn't there, but I said, I'm getting the buzz. He was the best, best prospect there. And a couple people said he wasn't the best, but he showed some real things that like he's got a chance. And I dug more into it, watched more film, saw some stuff, watched them early, and said, I'm just going to slide them in, sneak them in at like 30 or 29 to keep them there. Man, I, I'll tell you what. I, I will give Cody Topper credit for this one. Uh, former Memphis assistant coach, now at LSU. Uh, Cody hit me probably a year ago. Like may, maybe more than a year ago. Maybe like a year and a half ago. And said – Look, like there's this kid, he's really good. He's six foot eight. I think he's probably an NBA player long term. And he's like ranked outside of the top 100 right now. His name's Josh Minot. Check him out. Mm. And Cody fucking nailed that one, man. Like, <laughs> what? What? That's ridiculous. Um, just pulled that one out like it was nothing. Um, the last thing we wanted to talk about here, and we got a question from Courtney Kennedy. Uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about Amani Bates. What is the best spot for a money base? Would you gamble on Seton Hall if you were him? Uh, why I actually he... like the idea of Shaheen Holloway, and I like the idea of him in the Big East. That's not a bad call. Why sell me in the Big East? That fit. Uh, it's not quite as explosively powerful a league athletically, and I think that that could actually work in his benefit a little bit. Yeah, I see that. I, Not as physical. Like, it's, I know that, like, oh, we got the old Big East, right? Like, all that stuff. Like, it's not really that league anymore, really. 
No, but it's, it's going to have to be a place where more than anything, he has to play and he has to get reps and he has to have a very yeah. long uh, uh, amount that he can go out there. and He's not going to get pulled for like a bad miss, like two bad misses. Yeah, you got to go. But like the biggest thing for him is like you lose the, the year of development. This year kind of went off the rails. He needs to rebuild his confidence. I wouldn't put him into the pressure cooker of this biggest big time school where we're doing this thing all over again. I agree. The Memphis situation wasn't it. I'd almost like sneak him somewhere in the Pac-12 and just be like, all right, you guys play at 11 o'clock at night on the East Coast. Yeah. Like, you have a good game. We talk about the next morning on the highlight shows. If not, oh, whatever. You wake up, oh, he had eight points, whatever. But then, yeah, you play at 1 o'clock on one of the major networks on Sunday. It's like, oh, Monty Bates, have a nice little season. But if it's going to be somewhere where it's a headline every single day, that might not be great for him. I love the idea of putting him in the Pac-12. Yeah. I think that's really smart. I think that's really, really, really smart. Like nobody noticed that Harrison Ingram shot like three for thirty-five in his the last, last three month games of the season. Of the year. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, we all watched. Um, uh, well, you and I anyway watched enough Stanford games where I liked them, but then I didn't watch Stanford for like a week or two, and I was like, ah, let me circle back. Let's see why he's not hiring draft boards. And I was like, oh boy, like he he was you know? single digits and did not shoot, did not pass the ball well, didn't defend the last run there of the season. You know what the spot is? It's What's Washington. Like, Put him in the two-three zone, and like you probably limit the defensive fuck ups you're, you're a little just, bit. You're just hiding it, concealing a little bit. Let him. Let Mike Hopkins lets his guys go. I don't hate it. Yep, that's the spot. That that that's actually like kind of. I like the idea of Seton Hall. I like the idea of him just getting freedom from Shaheen Holloway, and like I think Shaheen would be really good for his confidence, um, and just like build that back up and build up that level of talent again. Uh, that that would work for me, actually. I think. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's a less sort of physical type league system scheme would help him too. Yeah, we want Iman Bates like to figure it out. We're rooting for Iman Bates. Um, you know, he just had a terrible year this year, and I think it needs to be a very specific situation that makes sense for him uh, in order for to make sense for his career. Uh, I think that's i think we're gonna call it we've gone an hour and 15 minutes uh that is i think that's enough right it's great like i think yeah. i think we're good uh have boxes. you watched any movies recently anything good i, I, I have I, I know you've watched all the movies because you had a cross planet flight and uh covid and all that i have I'm not like, actually for what it's worth but shocked yeah it's, i it's watched um i think it's a four-parter did you watch bad vegan on netflix no, what is that? Oh, it's good. It's about a lady who started a upscale vegan restaurant in New York City and then falls kind of for like a scam artist. And it's like this weird winding path of like, obscurity and insanity. So I, mm. I like that. That was good. Uh, I watched Trust No One about the Canadian crypto king who died and started a cryptocurrency exchange and 250 million dollars went missing so all these people are like uh where's my money and they're like well it's a bitcoin thing it's a passport we don't have it like sorry ha huh? and all these people are like well like what are you talking about that was good i enjoyed that and uh tv wise atlanta is back that's one of my favorite shows which i'm psyched about that's as perfect as the tv shows are out there and in my dvr when i get home is better call saul which i haven't watched yet so i'm, I'm very excited yeah, you're rolling, man. That's no, it's great. Good. Yeah, basketball's down. TV media is up. Yeah, uh, Laura and I watched the entire first season of Russian Doll. Uh, we didn't yeah, yeah, watch that, that when it yeah. initially came out. Um, we started the second season last night. 
it's I mean, it's amazing. It's phenomenal. Natasha Leone just absolutely rules. Um trying to think what else. We watched The Adam Project, that movie with Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, sorry I didn't watch it. Saw like the the preview of the trailer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually kind of sneaky liked it a lot. It got terrible like, reviews. Like terrible. Because there was I one that I was like, going to watch it and uh, I, I saw I, I always do the trick now. Like, let's just peek and see what Rotten Tomatoes is. And if it's, I think I said this before, if it's over 50%, I'll give it, I'll give it a chance. If it's below, it's like, let's, let's keep searching for something else. No, I actually, it was like a really nice movie. Like, I think the people are just sick of like Ryan Reynolds quippy thing. I, I don't know. Like, I, I thought it was a really nice movie. I, I liked it. I thought it was like actually weirdly touching. Like uh, I don't, I don't Ooh, get emotional nice. on movies, but this was nice. It was. But good. Ryan Reynolds, he he tugs at the heartstrings. I like it. <laughs> uh, Turning red. Have you watched that with your uh, small boy? Uh, I don't think. Oh no, I haven't. I saw it on a Disney Plus. I haven't. No. Yeah, that's fine. It was pretty good. I, I liked it a lot. It was. I don't even know that it's a kids movie. Really, it's like more for adult like i don't know who this movie is for yeah. kind of i like, had one of my friends say he watched it with his daughter he's like i don't know who this was aimed at we watched it though yeah it was good it, like i liked it but it was more like it just captures that like super awkwardness of like being 14 really well uh um, yeah it is awkward yeah uh choose or die the one with asa butterfield the horror movie i don't think i saw that it was okay. It's on Netflix. Like the set pieces are really good. I don't know that the movie makes all that much sense. I would actually weirdly recommend it if you're a super big horror fan though. Um, the last new movie that I saw though is the contractor with Chris Pine. It's like, don't think I know this the movie. It's like this movie where he's like a former army ranger or something and or a marine and then like he gets discharged and has to make money. So Kiefer Sutherland, you know, hires him for his contract, you know, black ops team, basically. Not very good. Not very good. <laughs> I love how there's all these like black ops teams for all these like ex marines or people getting out of jail or the service. These movies are just built around them. Like I don't know, maybe I'm not in the I'm not in the yeah. know enough to, about said black ops that are going on around me. You give me black ops, you give me spies, you give me heist movie. Uh, I will watch all of them and I will not complain. Uh, by the time that we podcast next time, I am hoping to have seen Ambulance, which oh, is we're like doing the Jillian Hall, yeah. The Gyllenhaal trifecta of ambulance movies. It, Yaya Abdul-Mateen, first and foremost. Like, we're, we're 100% in on the Yaya Abdul-Mateen uh, you know, bandwagon. Wh- whatever this is. The hype train. I think he is a superstar. <laughs> it's coming. Don't worry. Um, but I need to see that. That's my, uh, that's my next like movie theater Like we're going. That and the unbearable weight of massive talent. The Nicolas Cage movie just came out. Oh, I saw here. the preview. Yeah. Looks amazing. We're we're all we're all in. It's gonna be great. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I rewatched the Batman too. I did do that before I left. Did you? I'm yeah. like debating good. doing it. Good. Maybe today or tomorrow. Yeah. Still good. Oh, still good. Yeah, it was. Um, it was in. I, I liked it time two around because I, I told you and I said this on the pod. It's such a long movie. I go to the bathroom a lot, so I saw like my bathroom breaks. I'm like, ah, that makes more sense. Like. Like he escaped the jail and I didn't know how. And the guy's like, the keys in my pocket punch me. Like, well, now we we can piece it all together. That's the beauty of a rewatch of a three hour movie. 
Yeah, I, uh, I I am looking forward to it. I'm gonna put it on in the living room maybe this afternoon, and Laura's gonna be like, "Why the fuck are you watching this again? <laughs> Why? It's so long. Some, it's that or some horror movie that we've both never heard of, and it's gonna be the same thing the way it ends. So you may as well, well get no, the Cape Crusader. That's Laura. Like Laura is the one that makes me watch all of the horror movies. I, the problem is that like she's now it's like ingrained in me. Like I watch them all and I enjoy them. Um, but yeah, she's she's the one that like made that happen with the horror movies where we have to watch Choose or Die on a Friday night on Netflix. <laughs> well, you get that. That's the one you can mix in all your your noirs, your ambulances, your heists. You got to just do a little bit of horror mix in there too. Everybody wins. The problem is that when I watch Ambulance, which I think is set in L.A., I'm just going to go, oh, yeah, I'm going to watch Heat after that again. And that's like five <laughs> hours down the drain. <laughs> yeah, that and the Batman takes them a whole day. Oh, my God. Okay, Penny, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on in your life. Tell the people uh, a- anything you need to. Like Kansas oh, City, what's going them. on in KC? Yeah, Kansas City's awesome. I love Kansas City. Tell we, the people we, what's going on. We've done college events here. We have a grassroots event this weekend. Under Armour Association 2, our last spring event for camps in June and events in July. And I'm also on Twitter, Matt underscore Penny. That's really all my life. And once I'm done with this and done with all the NCAA certification, I don't want to say I'll take a break, but we have the lottery coming up here, the early entry deadline. So we'll have plenty of content. That's for sure. We're really looking forward to it. Penny's the best. Go follow Matt underscore Penny on Twitter. Uh, Go Subscribe to the Game Theory Podcast with Sam Vecini YouTube channel over there on YouTube. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. Do anything you can to support the show. We will be back next week uh, with more good stuff with Matthew. I will be back over the weekend talking NBA playoffs. I have a guest idea. I just haven't asked and reached out to him yet. I'm hoping that I can get him. But until next time, we will talk soon. Thank you.